Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And before we look at what's coming up on the programme, I want to start with the story that's making the news this morning. Quite distressing story of a toddler is said to be in a critical condition at Cork University Hospital. It was following an incident in the early hours of this morning. And Paul Byrne, the Southern correspondent for Virgin Media News, joins me to pick up the story. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Paul, what is believed to have happened? Uh, it's a very, very sad and distressing uh, story. Um, I'm at a property situated off the Boring Manor Road on the south side of the city near Cork Constitution Rugby Club. Um, there's a block of apartments here. And just after five o'clock this morning, Gardaí were alerted to an incident. And when they arrived, they found a little two-year-old girl lifeless on the floor of, a, of the property. Now, my understanding is that a neighbour raised the alarm and Gardaí were first on the scene shortly after that. You had members of the Cork City Fire Brigade from the first uh, Cork Response Unit. Um, CPR was administered to the little girl. Uh, Shortly afterwards, she was removed then to Cork University Hospital, where she's currently fighting for her life. If there was ever a time that prayer is needed for a casualty, it's no, because she's basically in God's hands. She's in the hands of the medics right now, who are doing all they can to keep this little toddler alive. Uh, It's a very, very sad story. Um, It's a very, very populated area. People are in a a complete uh, sense of shock this morning. I think it's... you know, we hear of injuries and people injured in incidents, but when it's a child, it really, really hits uh, them hard. And is anything known of of the family of this little girl? Are they local? Or uh, my understanding is that they're Irish and uh, that they are from uh, the Cork area. Um, little is little other that is really known about them um, the guards are keeping their cards very close to their chest because it's an extremely sensitive matter Patricia mm. and they're dealing it with dealing with it like with you know treading, treading very carefully like it's like walking on eggshells and they're being very careful of what they say um, <clears throat> it's very early in the investigation they will obviously want to speak to as many people living in the area as possible who might have seen or heard anything <clears throat> leading up to the discovery of the child um my understanding is that she was basically lying on the floor when the emergency services arrived and, um, you know, paramedics and Gardaí and fire brigade personnel have been extremely shaken by this themselves and that, um, you know, that they're receiving counselling this morning for, for after what they witnessed and uh, Gardaí are also holding a conference at uh, Gardaí headquarters in Anglesey Street here in Cork this morning. Uh, at the moment, the property is uh, sealed off. There's a... Um, Gardaí outside keeping a presence and there's also a team of forensic officers inside carrying out detailed examinations of a, a two apartments within, inside, within, within the complex. And as you say, huge shock for, because it was so early in the morning, half five, there wouldn't have been many people around at that hour of the morning. For the neighbours and people living in the area, you know, waking up to, to hear this news. Yeah, I mean, um, people are coming over to us 
because uh, we're here at the scene and people are asking us what has happened and basically I'm telling them what I'm telling you is that it's an investigation underway and a, a child was found and they're just completely aghast, completely taken aback by what has been unfolded. Um, look, it, it's nothing new to see guards outside places every day of the week. You'll see it on the news, you'll see it in yeah. the newspapers. But when they hear that it's a child, yeah. it just it just really hits them. And um, even this morning, my own, at home, you know, when I got the call about this and just looking at my own two kids, you kind of say, you want to wrap your arms around them? It's a hug. I know, I know. God help them. God help them. Okay, we'll keep them all in in our thoughts and prayers throughout the morning. Are you expecting any update from the Gardaí this morning, Paul? Uh, We hope that there might be something before lunchtime, uh, Patricia. But um, look, I mean, we're the last... Uh, and I say this with respect, we're the last uh, in their thoughts at the Absolutely. moment. They're, they're focusing their mind, talking to the family of the child and uh, piecing together anything they can to, you know, to which will form part of the investigation. Dreadful, dreadful. OK, <coughs> listen, we really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us, Paul. Thank you for that. Thank um, you very Thanks much. for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Uh, yeah, you can really hear the emotion in, in, in his in his voice. It's, it can be a tough, tough job. That is uh, Paul Byrne, Southern correspondent with Virgin Media News. And if anything more breaks on that story of that little girl found with uh, serious injuries at about half past five this morning, we will bring it with bring it to you. But as uh, Paul uh, says, keep that little girl in all of our thoughts and prayers and uh, indeed her her family. Shocking, shocking time uh, for them all. Uh, John, John Paul taking our calls this morning, 1850 Coming up on the programme, we are going to continue to get fall out t- uh, to Leo Varadkar. Uh, we, t- we had this yesterday on the programme and we had, I have to say, we had a huge reaction on the programme uh, yesterday when we started talking about Leo Varadkar and what Leo Varadkar had said about Micheál Martin in the doll uh, the, the day before and people really were very upset, very annoyed and can I say very angry. We had a lot of very angry calls uh, to the programme yesterday and many people saying that he should apologise now as we know when we went off air in the early uh, after afternoon yesterday Leo Varadkar did apologise and he has withdrawn his comments and I suppose from Leo Varadkar from a timing point of view it couldn't come as a worse time because he was on his way into a scheduled meeting with church leaders at Dublin Castle Um, and he spent all of yesterday morning I imagine hearing all the criticism by members of the Catholic Church and indeed members of the Oireachtas opposition politicians and lots and ordinary members of the public and I imagine card carrying members of the Fine Gael party were rather upset with him so on his way in to that meeting with the church leaders uh, he withdrew the comments and he made the his apologies some of the Oireachtas members the last Kian Corla Pat the Cope Gallagher suggested that Leo Varadkar should come before the Dáil next week to address the matter and that was after a number of TDs said the remarks should be withdrawn. This was now before he withdrew them. Uh, Mary Butler, who is a Fianna Fáil TD, she says the comments were unacceptable. And she also pointed to new inclusion framework, which aims to eliminate discrimination on the grounds of gender, age, race are 
religion. An independent TD for Tipperary, Mashi McGrath, said the Taoiseach's comments have been utterly revolting and outrageous. And he also called on him before to come before the House and apologise to say he has apologised. And he's also, it seems, going to correct the Dáil record. Now, Helena, by email to Patricia at c103.ie, says, Hi, Patricia, I would like to express my astonishment at Leo Varadkar's remarks in Dáil Éireann. Surely, as a well-educated man, he could have chosen some other words from his extensive vocabulary to express his annoyance with Micheál Martin. I wonder if he spoke in such derogatory terms about any other group in our community. Would we all be up in arms calling on calling him out on his discrimination and intolerance. Of course, I acknowledge the grave wrongs that were carried out by members of the Catholic Church, but I say to the Taoiseach, please don't paint them all with the same brush. Therefore, I feel the need to be a voice for my dear uncle, Father Dennis, RIP, who worked diligently within the church and many others like him, whose integrity was never, ever brought into question. Mr Varadkar is well entitled to his opinion, but not within our Houses of Parliament, where I believe he lacked professional judgment in making a broad statement such as this. And I certainly feel the doll was the wrong forum to express his feelings on such a hurtful topic for the many sufferers of abuse. However, I do very much welcome his apology. Uh, keep up the good work and that's from Helena. Thank you for that, uh, Helena. And we're going to be discussing it a little bit uh, later on. Are people happy with Leo Varadkar and his apology? And when he made the apology, he said it was his defence of it was it was done in you know the heat of a in in the in the midst of a heated debate. And I suppose for that reason, you know, you say things that you don't really mean. But is that, is it good enough to say, this, this is what he said, he said, yeah. Uh, look, I said something in the heat of a debate in the Dáil yesterday. He said it was a rather bitter and personal debate on both sides. And in doing so, I offended a lot of people, which I never intended to offend. I'm sorry for that. I do apologise and I am going to withdraw uh, the remarks. I was talking about the sin of hypocrisy and this is something that was said in the heat of a t- political debate. He said, I have immense respect for priests for the sacrifice they give uh, really in the lives they lead but I have immense and I have immense respect for people of uh, faith. Now there is the argument did he only apologise because there was such a hoo-ha? I mean there wasn't a radio station in the country that I think didn't carry commentary on this yesterday and didn't have people who were offended and outraged and very upset. There were people very, very upset by what the the Taoiseach did. And, you know, we had some people yesterday saying that if he'd made a comment like that about the Muslim community, for example, there would have been outrage. If he'd made a comment, if he'd likened all gay people, uh, there would have been outrage. Why should it be acceptable because he made it about the uh, Catholic Church. It's almost like this within society. There has been wrongs done in the church. Everybody knows there has been wrongs uh, done in, in, in the church and it will take a long, long time and for some they will never heal for the wrongs that were done against them. But I think Helena sums it up. Should we tar everyone with the w- one brush just because we had some priests and Christian brothers and nuns who were absolutely rotten to the core. They never ever should have joined uh, a religious o- order. But then there were many people who and who continue to work today, many wonderful, wonderful, good priests and nuns and brothers who do 
immense work and tremendous work but when you make a sweeping statement like that it's like everyone gets tired with the one brush it's like it's open season on the Catholic Church and that everyone feels it's okay to bash the church and the argument is should look at what they did in the past and that's just not a good enough uh, argument 1850 333 103 we welcome your calls and comments as I say we will discuss this uh, later on on the programme we're also going to hear uh, about a row now that seems to be erupting as to who exactly is going to pay for the much needed repairs to the historic weir in Formoy that is literally crumbling before our eyes and everyone seems to be, everyone accepts that this work, this is a historical structure, it needs to be protected it needs to be uh, repaired we need to be passing it on to the next uh, generation and everybody accepts the work needs to be done but nobody seems to want to pay for it which is just a ludicrous situation that we find ourselves in so we're going to discuss that on the programme. We're also going to speak with the ESB networks. They have announced this week that they are starting to roll out smart meters. Now the idea is that every single home and business in the country will eventually have a smart meter Now it's going to take quite some time because they've got to get into everybody's house change, I don't know, they take down, I'm assuming they remove the old meter and put in the new meter. Don't know how long that actually takes. So, we've decided to invite ESB Networks to join us on the programme to give us a bit of background and explanation. What is a smart meter? What will it mean to us as households to have a smart meter in the home? How long is the work going to take? When does the rollout begin? We know, for example, that the rollout is beginning in areas of County Cork. There's parts of the Midlands and parts of County Cork that have been selected for the initial rollout. I think the work begins in September, so we'll find out a little bit more about that on the programme uh, today. We're also going to hear from a young widow who remembers her husband who died from melanoma just two years ago and she's organising a fundraiser for research into melanoma. So we've invited her on the programme so we can give a little bit of a plug for her fundraiser that's happening tomorrow but also to talk about melanoma. I mean, here's somebody whose life has been so touched by uh, melanoma and what do we all need to do to protect ourselves and to protect our uh, family members. And we'll be going to the movies because it's Friday. So Mark Malone will join us after half past 12 uh, today, giving you a suggestion of if you're heading to the movies, what you should be going along to see. That and more between now and one o'clock today. Pat by text says, Patricia, is it more than time that Micheál Martin and the Fianna Fáil party would do their support for Fianna Gael putting on the election? Get them out, says uh, Pat. Anybody have an appetite for a general election? Because our Pat certainly does. And Mary says on the whole Leo Varadkar uh, issue and the church and what the church did back in the day. Mary wants to point out it wasn't always the Catholic Church who took children away from families and put them into orphanages and institutions where they ended up being uh, abused. Remember also that the government played a part as well. Mary remembers when she was a child, her mother passed away. And the father was looking after the children on his own and a social worker. I don't know what era you're talking about, Mary, but back in the day, social workers were called the cruelty man, uh, came a knocking on the door and said to Mary's father, would, would he not be better off putting them into an institution that the government will, you know, the government, the state will pay for the children to go into a, a local home. So it wasn't just the church that were putting people into children's uh, homes. The uh, local establishment had a lot to do with it as well, says uh, Mary. And there are a generation of people who will very much remember that, uh, Mary, and will remember the story of the cruelty man and the, tr- the, the threat to children if you were playing up the cruelty man will come and take you away. So even back then, people knew what the cruelty 
man was actually doing. 1850-333-103. And Tom in Castle Magna was on to us earlier in the week and I just didn't get around to this, to say that he brings his grandmother into Mallow from Castle Magnor every Tuesday. They come into town, they do a bit of shop and have a pot around, maybe go for a bit of lunch, whatever. But Tom says what really annoys him is the older parking spaces, you know, the yellow elder boxes that have appeared in Mallow. I don't know if there are many other towns either. They're like the blue disabled bays, except they're pr- they're painted bright yellow with a white motif in the middle and they're designed for older people. Now the same rules and regulations you know around parking if you if it's in an area where you have to have a parking ticket then you have to pay for parking but they asked they, what they do is they ask the general public to respect, respect these yellow elder boxes and to leave the space for an older person who doesn't have a disability so doesn't have a disability badge but may not be able to walk as far as they were when they were younger. So it's just a kind of a respect thing more more than ever. And because Tom has his beloved granny with him, he likes to park in those spaces. It keeps her near all the shops that she wants to uh, pop around to. So the one in particular that Tom likes to park in is the yellow space, which is near the courthouse and just across the road is Market Square, which is a shopping centre for people outside of uh, the area. And he says... On countless Tuesdays when he goes to park there, the prison van is parked in the space when the court is on. And Tom says, could they not leave it free for those that need the space? And I don't know what what are the rules and regulations around prison vans. Would they be the same as Garda cars that I assume they can park anywhere they like? Yeah, and I suppose they will say if there's no other parking spaces, they have to park there. And by parking there, they are getting closest to the courthouse in order to get prisoners in and out of the back. But uh, Tom finds it a huge annoyance uh, when it happens. I'm wondering, have other people been discommoded as well? Because the prison van is parked in the yellow elder box outside the courthouse in Mallow. The Oireachtas Petitions Committee this week heard that it is proving to be very complex and unclear as to who is responsible for providing the funding required to repair the historic weir in Formoy. Cork Eastall Deputy Sean Sherlock is chair of the committee and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. In, now, in fairness to Cork County Council, they've gone to great lengths to try to work out who should be paying for, for, for the repair, repairs. Is it true they contacted five different government departments? Uh, in fairness to Cork County Council, they are trying to find a solution uh, to this. And we had the opportunity on foot of a petition that was received by Mr. Paul Kavanagh uh, and Tommy Lawton uh, uh, representing the Save For My Weir campaign, which is a, a conglomeration of interests, which are angling interests, which are uh, boating interests and rowing interests, you know, to include also the, you know, Mr. Chris O'Donovan uh, in respect of the wheelie the boat wheelie operation, boat, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, which we all know about and, you know, we all value as a, a contributor to the, the amenity that is there. They, you know, they, they represent a group that basically put forward a petition, uh, you know, calling for a solution to uh, the 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 destruction of, if you will, the 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 weir and the fish pass, and also 
uh, you know, some clarity around the funding, seeking clarity around the funding in respect of the, the repair and reconstruction of that and also in relation to the safe migration of fish, if you will, under this, you know, water framework directive. So as chair of the petitions committee, we invited them in previously. They gave their, uh, you know, account of, of, of their, you know, their side of the story, if you will. And arising from that, then it was agreed by the committee that we'd invite all of the state Stakeholders, so that would include the Department of Communications, Cork County Council, Inland Fisheries Ireland, the Department of Housing, and so on. And to answer your question, Cork County Council is now at a point where it has received funding to allow it to go to, uh, you know, to a con- to create a consultant's report, if you will, in respect of des- a design for, uh, you know, the, the the what I call the Northern Pass and also for the, the repair of uh, the weir and the, the, the fish pass and so on. They have allocated, they've an allocated budget of 350000 approximately for that. But, even but that's just that, to, to create a report? Indeed, and that gets you to the starting point. Okay. Thereafter, then you've got to go for tender and the, the, the costs of the work, okay, and, and the tyres need to be kicked on this, they're saying that the costs of the works are... 1.34 million for the repair of the, the weir and the fish ladder and then 1.7 million uh, for the, the fish bypass. So, so that's three about 3 million. 3 million, three million. Yeah. Okay. So, and this is where the sticking block is. Who picks up the job? And this is where the sticking block is. So for your listeners, effectively, in order for the two projects to be done, taking at face value the costs that have been put forward by the council of 3 million euros, what the council is saying is, look, we don't have 3 million euros. What each of the statutory bodies or agencies or departments are saying to us is that they individually don't have a budget line in their what they call voted expenditure which is agreed every year in the budget for the works that need to be carried out and it was a bit of a surreal experience to be there chairing the meeting where you have you had government literally all on one side all agencies all supposed to be working together but all within their individual silos each agency and department uh, to a person saying we don't have the, f- the funding for it and this is what's really frustrating about this because i i can't imagine the cork county council and they stated this absolutely on the record and unambiguously that they just don't have that kind of money to be able to do this kind of necessary work and what we're trying to do now in considering the petition is to consider what the petitions committee now we're we're a, a committee that doesn't we, we have power in that we can bring for, bring witnesses in and you know make an assessment then of what they say and make a set of recommendations but it is up to government really at the end of the day what uh, how they proceed to find a solution to this problem but what was surreal about it Patricia was the fact that you had all of government there but they were all operating within their individual silos and each person was passing the book on and each one of them said, look, it's up to Cork County Council ultimately. Cork County Council is there saying, look, we just don't have those resources. Can you please help us? And they're all saying, effectively, no, because we don't have statutory obligations. We only have statutory obligations with respect to the weir and the fish pass and all of that under what they call the Habitats Directive, which ensures the safe migration of fish, fish and fish life through the black water. But did anybody but, say, well, let's go to the Department of Finance and see if they can come up, give us the money for it? Well, 
Well, you see, this is the point, because Cork County Council, I think, has been around the houses with all of the government departments at this stage. And I think they're getting the, the rebuff from them effectively saying, look, we, we, you know, it's not our problem. It's not, you know, it's not IFI's problem and Fisheries Ireland's problem. It's not the Department of Communications problem. It's not the Department of Housing's problem. Now, the Department of Housing, standing in local government, it would be the parent department of the local authority. And they did make some funding available for this this you know, for the report and the consultancy report and so on, which will get you to the starting line of a project. But what they're saying effectively is that they don't have the money, the capital money that is needed to be able to give to Cork County Council to be able to do this project. And I think what this really signals to us is that there is a need now for a a cross-departmental, whole-of-government approach to find a solution to this. And if if people are serious about wanting to solve the problem of the repair of the weir and the fish ladder, and if they want to create the new fish bypass, if you will, then, you know, I think all of government are going to have to come together and there needs to be a champion at Cabinet for this. Now, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform was recently in Formoy, the Minister mm. for Finance, effectively. He's the person that's holding the purse strings. It would be my view that if he was to take a view and a lead on this, given that he is now very much aware of the issues in relation to Formoy, if he was to take a view, for instance, that he could extract X amount from each department, you know, and him taking a lead in this, you know, if you took uh, X amount out of each department, you'd soon make up... Yeah, let, every, let everybody pay a little bit. And while the argument goes on, uh, Sean, uh, to find out who's going to fund the repairs, the weir is simply deteriorating before our eyes. It's deteriorating before our eyes. Uh, we we know from, you know, talking to people on the ground that, you know, the, 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 the you know, the the spawning grounds, the fish stocks, the, you know, the, there are no salmon being caught on the rods. That's the anecdotal evidence on the ground. Uh, you know, the spawning grounds and the so-called rads, the the beds and so on and so forth are, you know, are are, are not active at all. You know, you've the loss of the uh, the wheelie boat amenity and then there is the loss of the the, the regatta. And, yeah. and the triathlon, the swim the triathlon. triathlon. Yeah, I mean, so, we're lo- the, the actual town of Formoy is losing out because of the cancellation of events. That's the point here. And and you see, it is important to state that the amenity interest in this, the rowing club, uh, the, the wheelie boat people and the anglers are all of one voice because sometimes it it is conveyed by the government departments. And sometimes I have to say that the local authority put this across as well at the meeting, that there was some sort of division as between the anglers and, uh, you know, the, the the amenity groups, we'll say. And that is not the case. And I think objectively, I would say that as, as chair of the committee, that that is objectively not the case, because the evidence there is the fact that the petition came in from angling and rowing interests. And they're, of one, they're at one voice on this matter. But ultimately, what it means is that you can't, like it might be in the interest if you were looking at it from IFI or the Department of Communications, Climate Action and the Environment perspective, they might say, well, look, you know, there is no breach of the Habitats Directive at present. They might say that. I'm, you know, that's not me saying that. Mm. But you have to balance the right of the users of the river as an amenity with, you know, the, the, the EU directives in relation to the habitats. And I think the solution here rests with a package that is now, they're now telling us is 3 million euros. 
you know, and we need to get to a point where we get to the starting block. And I think really what it requires is a whole of government approach. And I think if we can get to a stage where the Minister for Finance, who has visited for my, who is aware of it, if he decides to communicate with all of the line departments, who all have to come to him anyway. Yeah, yeah. In, 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 because they come with their begging bowl to the Minister for Finance and Public Expenditure and Reform every year for their estimates. If There's always ways to find money. I know this from being a minister myself. You can find money, if, but what you need is the individual government departments to get out of their silos and stop thinking in such a linear fashion within their own houses and start reaching across to their neighbours and saying, OK, how do we do this? Cork County Council, I'm sure, could find some funding on this. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Department of Communications, Climate Action, uh, you know, if they worked with the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government, I'm pretty sure that a solution to this could be found. But I think okay. it's a political, it will be a political OK, some, some calls in Tom and Rathgormack feels there's too much money to spend on the weir and for more the roads in the area that needs that kind of money. Why not leave the weir as it is? Newland Mitchestown says surely there's a better way to deal with the weir and for more without spending three million. It does need to be protected but could it not be done at a lower cost? And John Joe and Newmarket said they're not interested in keeping on post open in Little Island. Do you really think they're going to to sort out the weir in for why? Well, the, the I don't believe that the roads and weir issue is an either or. I don't think it's kind of a you know a Hobson's choice issue. I think I think that you can. I always go back to this five hundred million rainy day fund. You know, we always question the the, the validity of that fund. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that capital funding can be financed out over a period of years. So that the, the, the upfront cost is, is you know, you, you can finance it out and pay for it over a period of time. So, it, it, you know, you, you don't take the hit on the upfront cost, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I asked the question of the council officials, uh, you know, on Wednesday, what about this European investment bank facility that they were trumpeting quite recently, where they, the Cork County Council has said, look, we're going to... Uh, you know, acquire a fund of 130 million euros for projects in individual towns, uh, you know, across the county. Could the weir come out of that? Well, it would be my view that that should be looked at. That should be examined as a possibility because then you're not eating into roads budgets. And and there are legitimate questions about whether or not this should cost 3 million euros. That's a very, that's an entirely legitimate question. And the amenity, you know, the rowing club, the wheelie boat people, the rowers, you know, the anglers, they would all question that cost. I would question that cost and I think the tyres need to be But I suppose we won't know until that until the the consultants report that they're going to spend 350,000 until that comes out. Indeed. And and again, going back to the EIB, uh, you know, the European Investment Bank loan facility, if you look at the value of the amenity in terms of the, the tourism spend that accrues as a result of that investment in terms, because it's not just about repairing uh, you know, the a historical, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also There's about a, there is a big spin off. Okay, I've gone way over on time. I've got to leave it there. Sean, thank you for that. Thank and you uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. 
ESB Networks have this week announced the initial locations to benefit from the upgrade of Ireland's electricity meters to modern, smart, ready technology. To discuss the initial rollout of the smart meters, I'm joined by Owen Barrett of ESB Networks. Good morning to you, Owen. Morning, Patricia. Uh, I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, what is a smart meter, and how do how will households and businesses benefit by having one? Okay, so Patricia, smart meters are very similar to the, the existing meter that's in your in your home, and that it records your energy consumption. It's actually the same size as well. Um, in terms of how people will benefit from it, so smart meters will give people more information in which to um, manage their consumption. Um, so that will help people to reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, also, it will help to, as we move into try and decarbonize the electricity network, uh, smart meters will help in terms of um, the electrification of heat and transport, also the introduction of local renewable generation and microgeneration onto the, into the um, electricity network as well. So once you have a smart meter installed, does it mean you won't have any more surprise bills because you'll know exactly how much electricity you're using? Yeah, so like so we won't start reading the meters remotely until uh, January 2021. But from that point on, all meter, any meter that is a smart meter will be read remotely. So yeah, estimated bills will, will become a thing of the past. And it'll be the end of the meter man calling to the door to read the meter? Uh, well, now, we probably will still have the, some locations we won't be able to, excuse me, um, we rely on a mobile phone signal to collect the data. So okay. we'll be using a 2G network. Um, to collect to collect the data, um, obviously some parts of the country won't have um, a strong two G signal, uh, so we will still need to have read a small number of meters. We would expect uh, to be able to read that. So we would have to do that, but in the main, people will be read remotely, and as you say, that that means no more estimated bills for people. And I'm assuming also, Owen, you know, if you can see the electricity you're using, it must encourage energy efficiency. Yeah. So look. What, what trials have shown, um, and there was a trial done a number of years ago with 10,000 customers, and it showed that when people had more information about when and how often they use power or energy, um, that they actually managed to reduce their consumption by 8% wow. uh, on average. So it's a, that's quite a significant saving for people if, if, if they use that information. You can clearly see when someone's left the immersion on. <laughs> yeah, or you can see when things are running at night when you're not there, or yeah, you know when you're yeah. asleep, you've left the, the, the television on standby, or or whatever it is. And did I also read somewhere that it makes it easier for people to change providers? Because we're all about you know shopping around and trying to get the best deal on our utilities. Yeah. So again, what well, we 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 would expect that we would be able. Generally, you need to have a meter reading when you do when you change your supplier, and um, and in the future with you know we'll be able to read a meter remotely. So again, that that will obviously speed up the changes the change of supplier. Okay, talk to me now about the actual installation of uh, the meter. How long, for example, would it take to install a new meter? Yeah, so the the installation will take approximately 45 minutes and for that period of time, the customer will be without power. Okay. Uh, Now, we will give people plenty of notice of when we're coming. So what your listeners can expect is that um, a letter, we'll start issuing letters starting in the next couple of weeks to customers that will be impacted. So, and that will um, explain to people how to make appointments with us to, to, to arrange for the meter exchange. We will need an appointment for a meter, obviously, that's indoors or where there's an outdoor meter, but maybe a gate in the way that we can't get access to it. Any cost to the customer? No. So, again, the, the, the cost is already included in, your, in, your, in the price of electricity that you pay to your supplier. 
Uh, so this is part of the, the kind of the management or the maintenance of the meter. And the rollout is starting uh, County Cork. We're one of the areas that's been selected for the initial rollout. What areas are you targeting first? Yeah, so in in the Cork area, we're going to so we're going, we're hoping to install ten thousand meters between September and December. Okay. And we're hoping to start in initially in McCroom, and then moving towards Bandon, Clonakilty, Ballincollig, Blarney, and Carrigaline as as we move through the year. We won't be replacing meters in every meter in those locations and um, we'll be going to the kind of estates that we have the majority of the meters will be will be old and how long do you think it will take for the entire country to be covered because that's the long term objective isn't it it is yeah so all 2.4 million meters we would we would hope to have those that complete by the end of 2024 so basically our plan would be to have 250,000 meters um upgraded by the end of 2020 and then 500,000 per annum for the remaining four years that gets you kind of the 2.4 millimetres. Okay, there's a couple of calls coming in saying that there's a lot on social media at the moment about these new smart meter, meters and how they emit radiation and they can be gen, they can be dangerous. Is there any truth in what so, people are reading? So no, like, I mean, we can absolutely reassure customers that the meters that are being installed meet all international standards. We have seen some of these um, these comments and they seem to be linking the smart meter, the communications of the smart meter with a 5G network. Um, again, to reassure your, your listeners, that's not the case. We're using a 2G private uh, network to connect to the meters. Again, that's, it, it, we don't rely on the customer's telephone line or the customer's uh, mobile phone signal to, to get to connect, to communicate with the meter. It's, uh, we'll set up our own, as I say, 2G network. Okay. All right. And you will write to people in advance to let them know that their houses, particularly the ones that are in the initial rollout. Exactly. So a customer can expect about six to eight weeks in advance that we'll write a letter to them and then they'll get another letter about four weeks in advance just explaining how to kind of set up an appointment with us. Okay. All right. No doubt we'll talk again, uh, Owen, in the meantime. Thank you for that. Okay. And thanks thanks for uh, for joining us. That is uh, Owen Barrett of the ESB Networks. And by the way, there was a question came in for the asking, could I put it to uh, Owen of ESB Networks? But it's a very technical question specific to one person's house. Uh, it was a very long question. I would never have gotten into the detail. I couldn't have got into the detail with it uh, with Owen. What I suggest to that listener who sent that in is if you get on to the ESB Networks, they're a great bunch. Uh, they certainly should be able to answer your query. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in. Not everybody that happy, I have to say, about the idea of ESB networks coming into people's homes and upgrading their meters with a new smart meter, even though the government tell us that these new meters will enable householders to make smart choices to meet their needs while saving money on the electricity bill and reducing the impact on the environment. One WhatsApper says, I am not getting one of these smart meters. 5G is not good, even though uh, Owen from ESB Network says they're not using 5G, they're using 2G. And that seems to be where a lot of the confusion is because a lot of the arguments on social media about people not wanting one of these smart meters is linking it to 5G and they're not using 5G, they're using 2G. And I'm wondering to people saying, you know, worried about the radiation emitted from these smart meters saying, you know, 5G is not is not good. They're all using phones with 4G and yet this new technology is only going to use 2G. Mara says... Um, 
Uh, good morning. I will never, ever want a smart beater because it's like Big Brother watching you every single second. No way. Who are they sharing your data with? Uh, somebody very much against a smart meter because of what it actually does. Um, just on that, then, can you refuse the smart meter? I've just done a quick Google search and it says, while customers can refuse to have the meters installed over time, the only meter available will be a smart one. And while we're doing the rollout here in Ireland, it starts in the autumn and areas of County Cork have been the first to be selected along with areas of the Midlands. McCroom and Bandon, Clonakilty, Kinsale, Blarney, Carrigaline and their hinterlands starting in the autumn and they expect to have all of those areas installed by the end of this year then they'll roll out to a different part of the con- different parts of the country they reckon by 2024 every country every household and business will have a smart meter and they're doing something similar over in the United Kingdom they're a bit ahead of us though they're hoping to have I think all smart meters in place by next uh, year but in the United Kingdom they're, ha- they're doing a slightly different they the government, again, in the United Kingdom, similar to the Irish government, are saying to all customers, you'll benefit from having a smart, smart meter, but they're not compulsory and you can choose not to have one. And if you don't want to have a smart meter now, you can still, this is what they do in England, you could have one installed later on at, at a later date, but initially if people didn't want one, they could refuse. But And it seems the same here in this country. You can refuse, but there will come a time when the only meters that will be available in this country will be smart ones and all of the new homes being built uh, are having smart meters uh, installed. 1850 You will hear from ESB Networks. They will contact you in advance of, and I'm assuming letters are going to start going out to people fairly soon in Blarney, or, yeah, Blarney, McCroom, Bandon, Clonakilty, Kinsale and Carrigaline letters because they've got to make appointments because for a number of people the meter will be inside. Some people it's inside, you open the front door and it's just inside in the hall. I know personally my meter is outside um, they have access they probably would you know but for others as, as Owen mentioned there might be a locked gate they need to have uh, to be able to get in and then you will be without power for the 45 minutes it takes to uh, install it but they will be contacting individual households to let them know that they are coming to install your smart uh, meter. Now back to Leo Varadkar still getting in commentary about Leo. I think Leo's remarks were shameful. I do think he knew what he was going to say. I feel he's no longer fit to be Taoiseach of this country. Michal Martin has a family at the end of the day and also there are some very good priests in communities and what the minority did should not overshadow the good work of the majority. I was taken aback by his comments and when you look at other political leaders like Mary Lou Macdonald for example or indeed other government ministers they will always give an answer when there's you know bit of a discussion or an argy-bargy going on. Uh, but Helen in North Cork feels that Leo always seems to make it very personal when he's sniping across at the opposition uh, parties and uh, she doesn't really like that but she feels that that's what he always does. By text, religion of any creed and denomination is based on power, undemocratic power, says Tim. Fianna Fáil were like a secret order and upheld many injustices by turning a blind eye. Who is responsible for the 200 billion euro debt that we're hearing about? Wasn't that a staggering figure? I think if you asked anyone how much do you think this country owes... I I would have said, I think I would have come in at around 10 billion. 
output. 200 billion, I suppose we just don't don't think, it's one of those things you just don't really need to be thinking about. I'd worry the hell out of you, wouldn't you? But that's what the country collectively uh, owes, but I don't know if the government are losing a night's sleep over it. I mean, I'm wondering how much, what's the most we've ever been in debt? Are we bringing it down? You know, are we paying it off? Is that the way countries operate where you always are in the huge amount of debt attached to the country? Hi Patricia, with regard to Leo's comments, I think he meant what he said and he used the argument fact, but he could have said what about Fianna Fáil bringing down the country and destroying people's lives? Fianna Fáil are the easiest party ever to tackle if you want to have an argument with them. She look back at Brian Cowan, wasn't he the biggest so-and-so, says this texter. Leo has nothing to be proud of. Only wind turbines all over the country. Skyline is destroyed with them. We're weary from them all. And don't tell me we need these wind turbines because we don't. And if we do need them, put them out to sea. Leo is only acting his age and he is proving to be rather childish, says a uh, texter. And let me go back to Unpost because we were talking yesterday about Unpost and we were talking about Post. Some people have problems with Post going missing and that led me to talk about next day delivery and other people saying they don't get their post on time and one woman was saying the postman waits because she lives in a rural area so the postman waits until he has post for all three houses that are down her laneway which I don't think that the postman is meant to do I'm wondering are his superiors aware of that Ben says we have a problem whereby our postman is constantly putting letters into the wrong letterbox it's an ongoing issue so it's our neighbours who are delivering our post to us and the post is thrown at the door or else put into other people's letterboxes the letters are clearly marked it can't be that he's that he's getting it wrong but he's that sounds to me like a lazy post, man. But again, does anybody complain? You know, did you get onto one post and say, particularly if it's an ongoing uh, issue and you're waiting on a letter, you're lucky you've got trusting neighbours who are passing on the post. And we've all been in a situation like that where an odd letter has come into your house and it's for your neighbour, you know, and it just postman's busy or whatever, whatever it is, is what I would put it down to. But certainly if it's happening on a regular basis, Ben, you should be doing something about it. And it was just a coincidence. We were talking about that yesterday on the same day that on post insisted that it is providing good service, despite a new report that came out yesterday that shows its performance in delivering a standard letter to homes and business around the country actually deteriorated last year. This is a report that was published yesterday by Comreg, who are the regulator of postal services, and they revealed the rate of next day delivery declined for the second year in a row and at Unpost again are failing to meet their delivery targets. The state-owned company, they are required, I mean, this is they are state-owned, so they are required to deliver 94% of standard single items. So that's your, you know, your letter or your card. They're required to deliver 94% of them on the next working day. They're also then required to deliver 99.5% of such mail within three working days, but 94% should be delivered next day. But the latest report out from Com- Comrade showed that on post delivered only 89% of the post on the next working day last year. The regulator said the worsening standard of service was mainly due to a decline in its performance in deliveries in the Dublin area. And the report was based on a survey carried out by Ipsos MRBI. And what they did was they posted 28,200 items of post and they posted it all on one day and then they logged 
they logged or over a period of time and then they logged how quickly it took to come back uh, so it came in at 89% instead of 94% and while that was being revealed yesterday we of course were talking as well saying that if we don't have next day delivery at the moment with the little island sorting office on our doorstep well, what happens when the little island mail centre closes next March all of our posts then will have to go to Athlone Port Leash and then come back down again you know, are we going to see less and less of next day delivery? Well, it, this came up, the subject of the Little Island Mail Sorting Office was being discussed in the Dáil yesterday with the Department of Communications saying they have no role in deciding which one of the four mail centres should close. It followed the passing of a Dáil motion calling on the government to instruct on post to keep the centre opened in Cork. The motion, which was backed by 73 votes to 39, follows the announcement last week that Ampos said Little Island Sorting Office is going to close. It was the Solidarity TD, Mick Barry, proposed the motion yesterday. He received cross-party support with the exception of Fine Gael and the Independence Alliance. And he says, I'm now calling on the government to respect this vote and to stop the closure of the Little Island sorting office but it looks like even though the motion was passed it's not going to happen because the government um, have come out and said as the communications minister Richard Burton has already stated they are legally prohibited from intervening in unpost operational decisions and that was the stance confirmed by the Department of Communication following the vote so while it happened nothing else is going to change but it did I suppose from the workers' point of view, it put the spotlight back on them and then making sure the, the commitment by on post that all the staff will be offered, you know, strong exit packages are redeployed within on post and the post office network in the Cork uh, area. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's su- such a, it was such a sad news day, sad story for the families that are involved, the workers that are involved there and the knock-on effect uh, to their families. But hopefully they will be well, well looked after. 1850 John Paul. Taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 C103 Jobs. CE3 Services, they're based in West Cork. They are looking for a chainsaw operator, ground staff, and a tree climber. There are also a number of positions available through community employment in the Rathmore area. And a part-time cleaning operator is required for evening work in the Lombardstown area. Candidate required to be self-motivated, independent and capable of working on their own initiative. And pipefitters are wanted for work with mechanical contractor that's in the Cork uh, area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now the Brendan Crown Memorial 7-a-side soccer tournament will take place tomorrow in Gary Duff Sports Centre with the prize giving ceremony tomorrow night in Mount Oval in Rochestown. All proceeds will go to help fund melanoma research with breakthrough through Cancer Research and joining me the late Brendan Crown's wife uh, Cleana Murphy Good morning to you Cleana Hi good morning and uh, thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us um, no now, now it's only two years next Wednesday since you lost um, uh, Brendan do you think he'd be incredibly proud of the event that you've organised for tomorrow? 
Oh my God, yeah, he would be absolutely um, astonished, really, I suppose, especially with the support that um, has been shown. I mean, it was actually the idea of a very good friend of his, John Kennedy, to um, arrange the soccer tournament. Brendan was a soccer fanatic, <laughs> played with Douglas Hall for 15 and then passed it for another seven years. So um, it was fitting that it was a, tour, a soccer tournament that, um, that we would, or that we have done, but he will be so proud. I mean, you know, so many people have come out to support us. You know, we've gotten great um, spot prizes donated. So he will be, um, but I suppose it. more particularly, he will be proud of the fact that, you know, all proceeds go to um, melanoma research, you know, Absolutely. in breakthrough. Absolutely. Just on the details for tomorrow then, how many teams are taking part? So we have, um, it's 24 teams, but if I could just say, we've just found out we got a cancellation. Okay. So if there is anyone that wants to have a play a game of ball tomorrow, the prize is actually um, a corporate box at the Aviva Stadium. So if there is anyone that wants to play um, at the tournament, um, you can, um, the details are on Facebook and Twitter, so you can just PM one of us and we'd be happy to take okay. take a team in. But yeah, so it's 24 teams, so approximately 170 players, so it's, it, it, there's a huge amount of, um, um, there's going to be a huge amount up there tomorrow. And while it's up. like a knockout tournament, is it? Is that how it's done? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a round robin. Okay. Um, they start with round robin and then it goes into, I think, um, finals then and semi-final. And then semi final and final then. And then tomorrow evening everyone is welcome to the prize giving, isn't oh, that? Yeah. That's a so, kind of a night out. Yeah, yeah. Up on the Mount Oval. So we'll begin with and uh, we have the great Trevor Welsh Fantastic. Um, seeing um the event first. So we'll be starting with the prize giving and then um on to um a raffle. I mean we've some fantastic support um prizes we've um you know, nights in the Radisson in Cork. We have um, a night in a hotel in Dublin. There's um, 300 euro teeth whitening voucher. The prices are just phenomenal. Like, you know, so, and it should be a great night as well. And again, look, everything, all money is going directly to um, research, melanoma research with Breakthrough. Because that's um, sadly what uh, Brendan died yeah. from. Wh- yeah. When did he first realise that he had a problem with... Um, the- well, Brendan's story is a little different in that he actually... Brendan had what's known as melanoma of an unknown primary, so he didn't actually have a mole. So he wasn't diagnosed until very late, like he was stage four um, when he was diagnosed. So at that stage, it had travelled um, within his body. And unfortunately, that's what happens with melanoma. You know, if it's not treated early it can travel um, and the response rates really, you know, to treatment aren't great at the moment, but that's why it's so important that the likes of Breakthrough, you know, they're currently doing clinical trials um, for, um, that will hopefully, for melanoma, that will hopefully advance or that will actually increase these um, response rates um, for melanoma. So he didn't have any of the classic symptoms of, you know, that we 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 tell people look out for changes in moles. No, he didn't. No, 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 no. And if he did, you know, maybe we wouldn't have been here, you know, because yeah. we would have been able to see that. Yeah, you know, there was, um, you know, there was, um, there was a mole. We need to get that checked. Um, and look, early early intervention is key, really, with um, with melanoma or like most cancers. So yeah, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. And from so to get a stage four diagnosis, how long did he last then from diagnosis? Fifteen months from diagnosis. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. No, he did. Like he went, he underwent several treatments in that fifteen months. Some worked, 
Um, and then unfortunately some didn't. He didn't respond to some, but some of the, there were, he did get some fantastic treatments. They were all new treatments. Yeah. Um, and treatments that did give him a good quality of life and, you know, allowed us extra time with him as well, like, you know, so. Because you've, you've two, you've two children. Yeah. 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 Fia is, um, three, she's four next week and, um, Neve is nine. So, oh, yeah. God, they're yeah. so young as well. They're just... They are, they're so young and, uh, um, it's tough. It, like especially my nine-year-old, she's more aware of what's going on, you know. So it's been tough on her. Like, but mm. you know, we have a good support unit around. Is she is she very involved in what's going on tomorrow? Yeah. Is she she's great? super excited. Yeah, she's yeah. here in the background. And please mention me and my cousin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's they're a, yeah, they're really excited. But can I just say, you know, tomorrow at the tournament as well, we're actually going to set up. Um, we have a sun cream station. We've been very okay. fortunate that Aldi have have actually sponsored the event with sun cream right. so we're just asking anyone that's coming that they come to us um, and that we're just asking that they larger up exactly no, exactly I mean it's happening at the you know the, when the sun is most dangerous from 12 o'clock onwards um, the UV rays will be read, the UV index will be very high so we're just urging people to come to us and we will um, because, because uh, obviously because of what you you know what you've gone through with with Brendan Cleaner are you Hyper aware, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. more so than you would have been before uh, yeah. Brenda got sick. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I would have been good enough before Brenda died, but not as vigilant as I am now. I mean, it's it's a norm now in our house. Like you know, we get up in the morning, we put sun cream on. Wow. It's a part of my skincare routine. The kids know it. Um, you know, they have hats, they have t shirts. You know, when we're going, we're going away now next week, and um, Fia has the long. Um, swimsuits, you know, the, the long she's sleeves. fully covered, and yeah. Neil then as well has uh, has a long rash, rash vest. And she doesn't mind; yeah. like she knows she knows how important it is. Um, but see, with kids, it's so important that they are protected. Their skin isn't as developed as ours; it's much thinner, so they are more susceptible to sunburn than we are. Like you know. Mm. Mm. Um, and I mean, and we have this, you know, we've had great weather the the last couple yeah. of weeks, which is great, and and oh, and, and bringing yeah. it on, and we all and we all love it. But you can see some people walking around, and you just you thinking, God, have you got enough sun, sunscreen on you? Because there's this notion that we put it on once and that's it. Yeah, it is, and it's like it, the guidelines are that it's put on fifteen to thirty minutes before you go out into the sun, and then it's reapplied then every two hours because. Um, it's going to come off, you know, yeah. with friction, with sweat, if you're swimming. And particularly it's children. Going to come off. Um, oh, yeah, and like for children and adults, it's two hours every um, two hours. It should be reapplied every, every two, two hours. hours. Like, you know, we're coming into, um, like, we're right in the middle of camp season. So kids are going off to, to summer camps. And most of these summer camps are outdoors, you know. So mm. they're going off at 12 o'clock. Um, and they have sun cream. Well, we would assume most of them say have sun cream at ten o'clock, and they're going out to the hitting. Then um, the the most dangerous part of the day at twelve o'clock, and they're unprotected. So, like you know, we would I, I suppose you know these camps that are taking place, you know, that maybe it's something that they could look at, like you know, setting up sun cream stations for the kids mm. because, like. One sunburn every two years can triple your risks of getting melanoma, you know, so... Yeah, say, say that again, one... One sunburn every two years can triple your risk of getting melanoma. Wow, and there are, let's, let's call a spade a spade, there are so many people getting diagnosed with melanoma in this country. Yeah, the, well, skin cancer alone, there's 12,000 yeah. um, diagnoses each year, thousands of those are melanoma, and then of that, then there's 160 will die of melanoma every year. Wow. Um, and... 
the scary thing is is that uh, they actually think that the, these rates will double by 2040. Oh, goodness me. And it can goodness all be prevented. Me. Yeah, this is it. It's, it's like the smoking one with the lung yeah. cancer. It can be uh, prevented. Um, and, and obviously to anyone, it, it, it wasn't the case with Brendan, but anyone who's noticing anything with the mole, get it checked. Absolutely, yeah. Don't wait because you could end up in, you know, with a stage four diagnosis. So if you think it looks a little irregular, it's itchy, um, just go to the doctor, you know, they'll know best. Um, because the longer you leave it, you know, unfortunately, the worse it could be. So just get it checked. Yeah, and isn't it the South Infirmary do that fantastic they clinic? Do, yeah, you yeah, get yeah. called in very quickly, in and out, and it's brilliant, brilliant yeah, system. Yeah, and I think last year, I'm not too sure if it's happening this year, but last year they actually had um, a free um, skin check. So, like, uh, I know there was huge numbers at it, you know, where you had the avail- you had the chance to go in and you, you got checked, like, you know, but I'm actually not sure if that's happening or not this year. Yeah, but, but if um, you go to your doctor, you get a referral yeah. and you are within weeks. You're not, you're, it's not one of these ones where you put on a waiting list and 18 months later, you're still waiting to go in. You yeah. will get in yeah, will, uh, yeah. really, really quickly. Yeah. And for people to check, for partners to check each other's, because we don't look at our backs. Yeah, no, to, no, we don't. Or, and take photographs. Like yeah. we, I remember going to the dermatologist not after long, not after, not long after Brenda was diagnosed, and that's one thing she had said: photograph your back, yeah, so that you can check for advice. changes then yourself as well. Like you know, and then it's easier for you to go to your doctor with the photograph and say, "This is what it looked like a few months ago. This is what it looks like now." That's and good then, advice. Yeah, that's, that's that's good advice. So, um, how are you doing clean anyway? It's it's still early days. with only it's two years. Very early. Yeah, yeah. Two years into it now. Um, okay. You know, we are keeping kept busy at the moment with the tournament and the kids um, keep me grounded you know I mean it's, it's I'm not going to deny it, it's extremely difficult there are days when it's you know it's, it's like as if it happened all over again um, but you know I suppose unfortunately we have no choice but to get on with things I know I know um, my, as I said the two smallies keep me busy all the time so you have, you have a good family around you absolutely great fr- family Brilliant. great friends so yeah yeah, and are you going to go away for the anniversary? Do something special, or um, he's actually buried in Ross Carberry, um, in down in West Cork. So me and my sisters and the kids, we just we're going to go down for the day, ah. um, and we're just going to do some fun stuff with the kids, yeah. then, and we'll come home. And we're actually um, going to Portugal the week after them. Well friends done. Of ours, so well done. Well fully done. Protected. Well, after all the work you've put into tomorrow, you're yeah. going to deserve a bit of Thank a break you. as well. Thank Listen, you. the best of luck with it. Just remind listeners again, particularly about the. Um, the part tomorrow night if people want to come along yep so um, we come along to both so 12 o'clock in Gary Duff we'll be okay. selling tickets for the raffle um, in both um, venues so Ash Gary Duff and then from 6 o'clock onwards in the Mount Oval and we're also pre-selling raffle tickets in the Ferry Arms Bar and Passage and the Mount Oval Bar as well in Rochestown um, and Sweeney Shop in Rochestown so if anyone doesn't can't make it you can still buy tickets as well um, beforehand Okay and well worth it because of the yeah, great prizes that are yeah. on offer yeah. Listen a real pleasure to talk to you good luck with it Cleaner. Thank you very much and thanks for taking time out no Good problem. morning to you Thank Bye you. bye 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 um, There's uh, Cleena Murphy remembering her uh, late husband Brendan Crown Best of luck with that event tomorrow Memorial 7 aside if anybody wants to get a 7 aside together one team has dropped out at the last minute and can we wish the best of luck to our own
uh, Trevor Welch um, from 96FM because he's emceeing the event tomorrow night in the Mount Oval. I want to go back to uh, Paul Byrne's Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News who joined us first thing this morning to talk about the case of a little toddler who was in a critical condition at Cork University Hospital following an incident in the early hours of this morning. Paul, um, not, not good news, Paul. Unfortunately, Patricia, no, it's uh, very, very sad and tragic news. The little girl lost her fight for life uh, before 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, She was just two years of age. Uh, Medics at Cork University Hospital did all they could to keep her alive, but unfortunately uh, they lost the battle and um, she was pronounced dead uh, at the hospital. Uh, Just to recap that, of course, the the little girl, a toddler, um, she was uh, found on the floor of uh, the apartment uh, at uh, off the Boring Manor Road at around half five this morning. Guards were alerted to what's been described as a, a disturbance, a noise disturbance. And when they arrived, they found the child's lifeless body. Shortly afterwards, you had uh, advanced paramedics uh, paramedics and uh, members of the Cork City Fire Brigade, they're, uh, the cardiac first response unit. When they arrived, they were carrying out CPR on the lifeless child. Uh, she was removed to Cork University Hospital, where uh, medics did all they could to, to keep her alive. But unfortunately, she lost her fight for life uh, just before 10 o'clock this morning. Now, the property is situated near Cork Constitution Rugby Club or Parky Creeve, uh, just less than a half a mile from Parky Creeve. It's uh, Elderwood. It's uh, an apartment complex off the Boring Manor Road. Uh, at the moment, you have uh, the Deputy State Pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster. You have uh, forensic officers, Garthi, and uh, teams of detectives in and examining the scene. A post-mortem will be carried out later at Cork University Hospital by the Deputy State Pathologist. I'm actually across from the hospital as I speak and sorry just having come from the the scene uh, about a half an hour ago it it was so sad just to to think that a little girl up to some hours ago was uh, enjoying life Uh, today they're preparing to carry out a post-mortem but uh, you know I was looking at one scene the pathologist was going in to examine a scene where a a child had been taken from and as she was walking into the apartment block two a little boy and a little girl no more than eight or nine years of age passed and knew there was guards and something had happened but totally oblivious to the fact that a little girl had uh, lost her life in tragic circumstances and other children in the area playing on their summer holidays in their shorts and t-shirts and running around with a water pistols squirting each other and uh, laughing and joking and enjoying the the sunshine and the the joys of life and at the moment I'm across from Cork University Hospital looking at the the hospital the main hospital to my left and on the right is the the maternity hospital and you you know as, as I look at it here you've got the two sides of life Patricia you've got someone being born and at the other side they're preparing to carry out a post-mortem on, on a child just two just years so of age. It's, it's just, very sad. It's just so wrong. Have we any uh, information on this little girl's family? Absolutely nothing. nothing. Um, I, I know that the, the apartments they're rented properties and um, you know I, I just know I know I, what I can say Patricia is that I'm aware of who they are and what they are but I, I just won't go into okay. it uh, okay. for, for, and, you know, and, for their own privacy and, and we still we still don't know at this stage what exactly happened in inside in that apartment this morning. No, the, no, all I can say is that the child was critically injured. The injuries were absolutely horrific, so much so that um, emergency services are being offered counselling uh, should they require it. Um, it was, uh, by all accounts, a, a horrific sight. Um, very, very disturbing to everyone. 
and um, but the course of the investigation will determine on the results of the post-mortem which will be carried out later today but what I will say Patricia is the resources that are being afforded to this are the resources that would be put into a murder investigation really and it was the neighbours who was it was the neighbours who reported a disturbance, was it? Was it they heard That's something? Right. Yeah. There was some noise heard around five o'clock and oh, um, you God. actually have two you have two properties off the Bory Manor Road sealed off. One is of major interest to the guards, one is of interest but it will probably not form part of the investigation at the end of the day, but they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's just to keep everything uh you know, make sure everything is uh, done properly. But uh, one one major scene of uh, investigation is being carried out. Okay, listen, we uh, appreciate you updating us on that, uh, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for that me. and thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Paul Byrne and you can get more on that story from Paul, Southern Correspondent with Virgin uh, Media News on, on the TV uh, later on. But just to confirm that that little girl, that two-year-old little girl found who had been found with serious head injuries at their apartment in Cork earlier this morning has sadly passed away at Cork University uh, Hospital. Uh, no one, by the way, has been um, arrested in the investigation to the incidents, but uh, obviously the locals and people there absolutely shocked and uh, just think of that little girl I may she rest in peace it really is it's just a shocking uh, shocking story we were talking about smart meters earlier on Teresa said uh, Patricia I was watching a programme on one of the British channels where they where some of these smart meters were installed incorrectly by whomever got the contract to install them and it actually caused house fires can't recall the statistics there had to have been enough of them, said Teresa, because it got media attention drawn to the issue. But that was something around the installation of them because, yeah, the rollout of smart meters in the United Kingdom is ongoing. I think by next year they're hoping to have them all uh, rolled out. So I'm assuming they got their smart meter programme well underway ahead of us. We're only starting ours in probably September. They're saying autumn. So September of this year and it'll be 2024 before the whole country has a smart meter installed or at least the offer of a smart meter to be installed. Now let me catch up on an email that I've had on my desk all week and just to be had a busy week and I haven't been able to get around to it Friday is always a good day to try to wrap up some of the issues that came in and this was to do with the piece that we did last week on the programme when we were talking about mental health services in uh, Bantry. A listener who doesn't want her name called out which is fine says Patricia I don't think that the public have forgotten your recent discussion on the mental health services in Bantry. I have a family member currently being treated there and they heavily rely on the excellent care that they always receive. This time, however, they feel that staffing is very inconsistent as they usually have to inquire about who will be on duty the following day. The answer to this question can be very reassuring for them as they have very healthy rapport with particular staff and are aglow when those particular staff are on duty. While I've been in the facility visiting loved ones, I've noticed staff walking at a much faster pace than usual. In fact, you might say they're running up and down the corridor in panic. It seems to me just trying to get their work done. This is something new. In as many years as my family member has been admitted, I have never before witnessed this staff working at such a fast pace. In short, I think it's fair to say that they're under pressure and that they're under great stress. My message to Minister Jim Daly and indeed to the Fine Gael Party is this. Stop attending functions that celebrate mental health for 
photography opportunities if you can't even get the services on your own front door sorted out. Mental health promotion isn't trendy. It's an absolute must. We're all capable of being diagnosed. That goes for the politicians themselves. And God forbid they would have to be at the mercy of an understaffed hospital where professionals won't or can't spare 10 minutes to talk. There's no point blaming management because they have to answer to someone else. And where does the buck stop? Is it Leo Varadkar? Is it with Minister Jim Daly? I'm sure management are pulling their hair out under the pressure of a staffing embargo. I see that the Psychiatric Nurses Union have tweeted that they are marching on July 4th it was yesterday, to protest against the staffing embargo. And if so, I wish them well. It won't be long until we have a general election and Fina Gale should be mindful of mental health promotion and protection. Who cares for the mental health of the mental health professionals? Is there any HSE spokesperson that can reassure us that mental health professionals receive some form of support to protect their own mental health? Or do they feel that mental health professionals are immune to depression, stress, anxiety, etc.? Is there some sort of ombudsman person for mental health staff? I am deeply disturbed at the irony of this and I'm also worried about the recovery of my family member who has at times thought about taking their own life. When are people going to stand up and say enough is enough? We need adequate mental health care in Ireland and I'm sure the I'm sure it's not just staffing in the... I'm sure it's not just Bantry that is suffering. Yours in good, good faith. Uh, please withhold my name. And that's from a listener who has a loved one who has been looked after in um, at the facility at Bantry Hospital for, for mental health. And uh, well, very well put together uh, email. Uh, and your points are very much tied in with the initial communication we had from a member of staff at the facility who was speaking about the stress levels, who was speaking about being under so much pressure, that so much so that some of the staff were actually out on stress leave and sick leave, which seems ironic if you're working in a mental health facility where you're helping people who are dealing with mental health uh, issues and are dealing with very stressful situations. And the staff are put under so much stress themselves that they end up going out sick. There's, there's a huge irony, isn't there, uh, in that. And that's one of the reasons that the staff member contacted us and asked us to raise the issue. And I know the independent uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Collins raised the issue in the Dáil. Now, I know the HSC got on, back onto us and said there wasn't an issue in Bantry and they, they almost seemed quite annoyed that we were even questioning that there was a staffing issue. They say there is a, adequate staff at the facility. But what we were also hearing from people, and it's reflected again in this email, is the changeover of staff and having to use agency staff. Because if you're if you're battling a mental health issue and you are getting the proper care and attention, and I don't think anybody's disputing that they, they you know they're getting the proper care and attention, but you form a relationship with the care givers, particularly the psychiatric nurses. And if the psychiatric nurses, if they can't retain the psychiatric nurses or they can't employ them due to embargoes and you're relying on agency nurses and absolutely agency nurses are trained and all of that, but they're not there long enough 
to build up the rapport with the people and many people who, who are suffering mental health will be in a facility for quite some time. It isn't, mental health isn't something that you can take a tablet or you can get a course of treatment and within a week or two you'll be back in your feet and you'll you'll be, you know, you'll be out the door and you'll be fine. Many have to stay in these facilities for lengthy periods of time and I just thought the statement in this particular email when staff patients are getting trying to find out who's on duty tomorrow who's on duty tomorrow and the answer to the, the and I read the answer to the question can be very reassuring for them as they have very healthy rapport with particular staff and are aglow when they're on duty so they're already you know happy when they know that you know staff nurse A is going to be on uh, but to be told, well, we don't know because it's going to be agency nurses can leave them very fretful and, um, and anxious and certainly not good for their, their mental uh, health. So thank you to that person emailing Patricia at c103.ie and just sorry that it, it took so long for me to, uh, to get to it. OK, we're going to take a break. We have news at uh, 12 midday on the way and no doubt we'll hear more uh, about that breaking news of that little toddler who sadly has passed away. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. After some kind of an incident uh, this morning died following serious head injuries at Cork University Hospital. Uh, may she rest in peace. It's such a dreadful story. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. James in Cloyne uh, was on to us earlier. This is commenting on, on post when I mentioned earlier that it was got raised in the doll uh, yesterday by the Solidarity TD Mick uh, Barry. The closing on Post's decision to close the Little Island sorting office, Mick Barry bought a motion before the Dáil, which was backed by 73 votes to 39, asking on Post and asking the government to get involved in stopping the closure of that particular uh, mail centre. We know there are four and it was Little Island one was, that was picked last week for uh, closure now. So that went before the doll yesterday but the Department of Communications and the Minister saying we can't intervene. They are legally prohibited from intervening on, on post operational divisions. Anyway, that got James thinking. He says, why could they not train some of those workers who lose their job in Little Island? Why can they not train them and see would they like 
to take over the running of the Cloyne Post Office. This has been a story that's been running all week. Cloyne are to lose their post office, are under threat of losing their post offices. A post office joins, uh, John in Cloyne says, we could lose our post office. I have not heard anyone mention this. Why do they not offer the postmaster's job at Cloyne to one of the workers? Well, in fairness, redeployment has been has been offered uh, to the workers and, and POST have come out and said that there, there is a commitment by them that all staff will be offered either strong exit packages or redeployment opportunities and redeployment opportunities within on POST delivery and the post office network in the Cork area. And they currently employ nearly a thousand uh, people. So, you know, assume if there's a job going in Cloyne, there's a postmaster's job going in Cloyne and there's somebody currently working in the Little Island Sorting Office whose job will be gone by next March. And if there was a job going, I mean, to me, that's redeployment within on post. So maybe, maybe, maybe it will happen. Only time will tell. Thanks for your comment, uh, James, to 1850 Now, we have this wonderful weather at the moment and uh, everybody's enjoying it. And there's no, I'm always saying there's no place better in then Ireland when the sun shines and it's great and it's great for people to get out and enjoy themselves and as we heard earlier from Clea and I make sure if you are enjoying yourself that you've got adequate sun protection on, on you and on every member of the family particularly the children but it does seem that when it comes to going on vacation we the Irish mainland Spain seems to remain as the most popular destination and it is again this year for Irish people heading abroad despite wonderful attractions that we have uh, in this country people are instead deciding to go to the sunnier shores and I think that is probably one of the attractions and one of the reasons why people go to the likes of Spain and further afield is because you're it's, you're, you're guaranteed the sunshine that's what most people are heading away for it's research that has been conducted by Lea Healthcare and they found that 22% of Irish people have said they're planning to spend their holiday in Spain this year and just one in 10 of us will choose to have a holiday at home which comes in at about 12%. Now the most popular destinations after Spain at 22% for Irish people people will go to the United Kingdom that's 10% America 7% Portugal 6% Italy 6% France, 5%. And the Canary Islands, Lanzarote, always proves popular, particularly with Cork people. That's in at 5%. Actually, I would have thought France was higher. I I was always a big fan, and I still am a big fan. I I like um, Spain, and I particularly like some of the islands. But a number of years ago, I discovered the south of France, and I have to say, it's, I mean, again, you're guaranteed the sunshine, completely different to Spain, but a wonderful place uh, to visit. I I would suggest it to anybody who's looking to go overseas. But I would certainly say if you can get good weather here, stay in this country. I did a staycation last year up in up around Donegal and it was I would I will look back I think and, and say it was one of the best holidays I was ever on the, on the crack was great and we had nice we weren't in the middle of the scorchio weather that we had last year it was just at kind of the tail end of the heat wave so we had nice weather it was you know we were able to get to the beach and the, and the children were able to have fun at the beach and we didn't see a lot of rain uh, I have to say now if it had rained for the entire week would I be saying a very different story probably uh, yes anyway back to the survey that's out for this year 
it found that three quarters of Irish people, over three quarters, 78%, will take a holiday uh, this summer and our collective spend eight billion euro is what we will spend on uh, holidays. I suppose we're at near full employment and uh, it shows the economy is on the up when you see so many people going on holidays and before people jump in I absolutely appreciate that the economy is rising but as they say all boats aren't rising for for everyone there are people who won't be able to afford to go down the road let, let alone thinking about going away on holidays but for those that are some 78% say they will go away on holidays and as I say 8 billion will be spent and just a billion of that will be spent on, on staycations which is still I wouldn't go just I still think that's a that's a good figure to, re, to remain in the country but the bulk of it I suppose yeah 7 billion of it will go overseas and as well as the annual summer holiday 6 in 10 said they'll take one or two additional short breaks during the year and 1 in 5 must be the more well-to-do, they will take at least three additional holidays on top of their two-week summer holiday this year. And then when asked, what are the three essentials that you bring on holiday with you? Three quarters of Irish people said they never leave home without their mobile phone. I'm not in any way surprised at that. I'm actually surprised it's only three quarters. I would have thought 100% of people say that they won't leave home without their mobile mobile phone. It might be a good thing to do to leave home uh, without it. The need for sunglasses was next followed by sunscreen at 36%, travel insurance 34 Books, 27, and a camera, 27. Even though the camera, 27, kind of, I, once you have your phone with you, for most people, the phone is the camera. But it is, isn't it interesting, the order in which, when you're asked, you're packing your suitcases, the, the essentials that you have to bring, people put the phone and the sunglasses ahead of the sunscreen, bearing in mind what we were talking about early this morning. And then what would you like, when you're going away on holidays, what will you bring with you to bring you know, a piece of home away from home? What's important to bring uh, with you? 14% but it said they'd bring the tea bags on holidays and one in 20 pack the sausages. I can never understand that. I can never and, and I've been away on holidays and I've met other lots of Irish people went away on holidays and they say, yep, yeah, they've brought the the sausages, the Clonakilty uh, pudding. Uh, it just, I, I just can't. I think when you're away, you can, okay, you might be able to get the same quality of sausages and you might be able to get your clonic guilty pudding, but I just don't know. I've never, ever understood the logic of packing that kind of food and bringing it away with me. The tea bags, 100% I understand, because nothing tastes like Barry's tea. And I know when you get, when you go away and you'll have the cup of tea, there'll always be the argument, does it taste the same as home? You know, I, I always think it's the milk is never is never right, but it does give you a slight taste of home and then there's nothing like that first cup of tea when you come in the door. And then while on holidays, what concerns us? What are we worried about? We're worried. 19% of us will worry about bad weather. Uh, 10% will worry about running out of money. Uh, then we uh, and then when you're worried about the local language, only two percent. I'd never, yeah, the local language would never would never bother me. And I think certainly if you're going to Spain, uh, the language would never bother you because the Spanish are just so good at having English as a second language. I think we leave ourselves down uh, with not having a second language, and it's, it always amazes me when you're in holidays as well and you see children, young children from you know mainland, from Europe, Italians. French, 
Spanish kids definitely and they'll all have a second language they'll all be uh, able to communicate with the other children whereas our kids rock up and they have the one language I suppose is that big play for should we be introducing a foreign language in primary school I know we already teach Irish and I wouldn't in any way advocate for the stopping of teaching of Irish but should we be slotting in French or Spanish or German at primary level. I know it's an argument that's gone on for many, many years, but we don't seem to be budging on it at all. We don't pick up that uh, foreign language, that uh, um, additional language until children go into first year. And some will say it's too late at 12, 13, whatever age they are, when they go into uh, secondary school. They're like sponges when they're younger, should we be introducing the foreign language. But there you go. If you're heading off on holidays, you are more than likely going to Spain. Enjoy your holiday. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Ballonhassock Community Development. They've got a fundraising social dance. It's on in the Marion Hall tonight. Now, dancing is to Dermot Lines, and dancing will get underway a quarter to ten tonight. Uh, still looking for donations of used adult size football boots. It's wanted for a group undertaking volunteer work in Sri Lanka. If you've got any adult-sized football boots no longer in use in your home. Drop them in to Seamus at Taras Jock Charity Shop in Dunmanway. Clyde Rovers GAA, they have their annual lotto draw in Derry Murphy's Railway Bar. That's tonight. This week's jackpot is €1,800 and tickets are available from Jerry O'Donoghue. St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville are hosting their 32nd annual Greyhound Benefit Meeting Curraheen Park in Cork tomorrow night. First race is at 10 to 8 and you can get more details from the foundation at 063 89252. And as we spoke about and mentioned earlier this week, the Clonakilty Old Time Fair is on tomorrow Saturday with vintage cars and machinery, art and craft demonstrations and incorporating the 40th South of Ireland Band Championship. Please note that streets in Clonakilty will be pedestrianised all day and it is a great day out for all of the family. And an Afro-Latino Family Day will be held in Douglas Community Centre this Sunday from 12 noon to 5pm. All ages are welcome and proceeds from the day will go to Crumlin Children's Hospital and the wonderful Ronald McDonald House at Crumlin. As we've mentioned earlier, there was a huge reaction uh, yesterday on this programme and indeed I'd say on every other radio programme across the country to the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar's comments which likened Micheál Martin to hypocritical priests. Now he has since apologised but many found the comments offensive and derogatory including Charleville Councillor Ian Doyle uh, who joins me. Good afternoon to you Ian. Afternoon, Patricia. Now, How are you? I'm very well. Now, firstly, he did uh, apologise and his defence was it was said in the heat of a dull debate. Well, look, the apology is accepted and it is good that, uh, that, that, that his water under the bridge now and that, that apology was done. I suppose, Patricia, you know, I, I, I put up a post and that's the, the reason for this phone call. I put up a post that night going to bed. And I, I was genuinely really offended. And it's not personally offended, but I was offended for the, for the unbelievable men and women that are carrying out the, the Christian ministry in terms of our priests and religious life here in, in North Cork in particular, but in Ireland. And, you know, whereas nobody can condone the, the, the dark history of the time past in all walks of life, uh, the people that are continuing the ministry now are doing it in silence. They're they're working, 
you know, with the help of the communities, I mean, there are pastoral councils in every parish now in the community helping our priests to to carry on the ministry. And I just thought, you know, I I went to bed and I put up the post and when you get up the following morning, you wonder, say, God, I wonder what what, what am I after doing? But we were encouraged by the, I was encouraged yesterday by the reaction of everybody to to the support, the the tremendous work. It's it's funny because as soon as I heard him, uh, Leo Radker say it, I straight away said, oh, I knew, I just knew immediately what the reaction was going to be. Yeah. And I know from the calls and the texts we got in yesterday, I mean, there was anger and and, and, there and, and, and there there that. but there was people who were genuinely upset. They took real offence to the point that it made them upset. No question about it. And, 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 as, I, as, I, and as I point out, we weren't upset actually personally for ourselves at all, but upset at the hurt caused to the yeah. peace and religious life and you know in a lot of cases Patricia, and I was just thinking coming up there that, that tonight today you know these glib comments are put and yesterday in a radio station not yours we, we, there, was, there was an excuse made that we are now a republic and quite rightly we are a secular republic now and things are changing but you know we are also a society and religion regardless of the religion uh, plays a huge part or you know standards play a huge part in our society we're not robots you know, mm. I mean, uh, and and society moulds our republic. And thankfully, we are a Christian or, you know, multi-denominational society. But respect is probably the cornerstone of that. And I just felt that those comments were not respectful. And another thing that I was thinking about, you know, a lot of these priests, uh, all, not a lot of these priests, all of these priests, if somebody insults me at a, at a council meeting here today or in any place, I have the comfort of going home to my family and... You know, telling what's upsetting me and yeah, a, a support mechanism. And a, a support mechanism. These men and women are going home. They have been insulted up to their eyes, and they've they've actually have no one. You know, and I, I it's not necessary. I don't think I, there's nobody condoning what happened in, in the past. Yeah, in, in the, the past. past. Yeah, in, in all walks of life. Yeah, but yeah. I think. This, I, but I think but, that, but Ian, it's almost like it's open season uh, on is, all priests that anyone is, can ever go with them, and the argument always is, "Oh, sure, look what happened in the past." I mean, that's not good enough. You've only to look at, uh, and it, it, you know, and I know they're glib comments, but they're glib jokes and they're stupid jokes about that past. And it's 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 not even a joke because it's it's talking about something that was horrific. But it, it is. I mean, ninety nine. One of the bishops yesterday said that ninety nine point nine percent, and I would agree with him, are are genuine people that are working to the good of society. And, you know, I, I made the comment yesterday that, that, that rural Ireland, and, and I'm, I'm sure, I know that the members of Fine Gael agree with this as well, that, that rural Ireland is still dominated, or that, that the people, the, the parish priests and the religious life, they have a huge role to play, maybe not the role that they had, but have a huge role still to play in our family lives and in our community lives, and long may that continue. You know, and there are huge men working throughout the diocese and throughout the the, the, the uh, doing that mm. and you know I, I, it was just encouraging to hear all the support you know okay, yeah. uh, you okay. Know, and yeah. it was, as you say it was good to, as we started the outset of it, he, Leo Varadka has apologised he apologize. and he's going and to correct the all records as well I, yeah and I suppose I suppose on a, on a, on a, on a lighter note 
Why is, I mean, the Catholic Church is blamed for a lot of things, but being blamed for the kettle roundabout was a bit ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're to blame, we're, I mean, I, I think that the council would be blamed for that now. The Catholic Church had nothing at all to do with the kettle but, roundabout. But, but I did see, I did see a number of members of of, of your own party uh, give out about the comment uh, yesterday. You know, many would say, know, and rightly no so. But yeah, then, no, but no, then, but and I can see some texts coming in on this. Is it yeah. time for your leader, uh, Mihal Martin, and your party to pull the plug? Well, and, and get out of this government. That's an issue that uh, is up for discussion. I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was not helpful to anybody. I must admit. No. Would you be in favour of going before the people now? I think we. We. I think, yes, is my answer to that. Yes, is my answer to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, as a no councillor, yeah. as yeah. a councillor, you don't make that decision. No, no, I don't. I don't. But I think we have a very positive uh, team ahead of us now and I think we have a contribution to make and yes is the answer yeah okay you did talk okay. we last spoke uh, coming up to the, the the show you had a fantastic a top fantastic, class fa- show fantastic fantastic show top class show in Charleville I think the um, you know there was a, there was one item in the farmers journal yesterday and they said Charleville showcasing nationally showcasing and that's what it was just fantastic yeah. That's great. great committee that's, that's, and, and, and you got and the thanks to uh, Steve 103 for all their help as well and that. you got the yeah. weather which is great alright listen thanks for that uh, thanks, Ian Patricia. and thanks Thank for taking time to talk to us uh, bye bye that is uh, Charleville based Fianna Fáil councillor uh, Ian Doyle and his reaction to Leo Varadkar's comments uh, yesterday now some people have been on on um, some people have been on about oh first the unpost let me do the the unpost one oh this is an interesting one from Michael when we've been talking about unpost and next day delivery and all of that Michael was on to say Patricia something about unpost now I didn't know this Michael says I was posting a parcel to Toronto in Canada and I decided I would get the parcel registered so I got the parcel registered only to be told by unpost that the parcel is only registered as far as Dublin and I did not know that. Now, thinking about it, it possibly makes sense because when you register a letter or a parcel here in Ireland, you know, it goes from one house to another house, it gets delivered and it has to be signed for. They obviously can't do that when it goes out of the country. They can't guarantee that it's going to to arrive. The only thing I would say is why would you then, therefore, register something going out of the country if on post can only guarantee the registered part of it as far as Dublin. I was not aware of that. I don't know if anybody has that come up for anybody else when you go to register. Do, do they tell you at the post office, by the way? You know, what's the point in registering this? It only gets registers as far as uh, Dublin. And actually what kicked off this whole discussion about on post was at the start of the week when John in North Cork contacted us because he had posted two birthday cards to his granddaughter in the city. It was coming from North Cork to Glanmire. One had money in it and one didn't have money in it. And they posted it in time so that it would get there for the little girl's birthday. And he got on to us three, three days later, four days later, and the cards hadn't arrived. And he was just really, really disappointed. And then we gave it out and we were hearing from others who had stories to tell about posts over the years going uh, missing. Well, John has been back on two... Oh, we, we then contacted um, on post on behalf of John, even though I don't know if we heard back from on post about it. But anyway, John has been back on, I'm assuming, to say that the letters arrived in Glanmire yesterday. 
even though they were well over a week late. Okay, so they've arrived safe and sound. Money's inside in the envelope. Everything is okay. Little girl is happy. Got the birthday cards, but it was a week late. Now, why do those cards take a week to go from North Cork up the road to Glanmire? Going through the Little Island Sorting Office. I mean, they didn't have to go to Port Leash or to uh, at loan to be sorted as they will do when the Little Island one went but anyway all's good that ends well so let's not knock it I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that I'm happy to, to relay John's story because actually in fairness somebody did ring up and say that they had a letter that had taken over a week to arrive and for John not to panic yet that it still might arrive so I'm, I'm really glad really I'm glad to hear that that's arrived uh, safe and no doubt the little girl is absolutely di- delighted that Nan and Grandad did not forget her on her uh, birthday now I was talking about holidays and going away on holidays and this survey that's out showing what people like to bring away on holidays uh, with them and one of the uh, is, one of the ones is what people like to bring away with them is the this disasters I was just making the point I can never ever understand why people bring rashers and sausages and the Clonakilty puddings with them when they go to Spain or Portugal or the Canaries whatever it is but a lot of people do it and listen I'm not knocking it I just I could never understand it a couple of people on Annie Newmarket says when my brother-in-law was going home to California he would always take back well over a dozen pounds of sausages back to the other family members in America as they couldn't get them in the States says Annie Newmarket see I can completely absolutely completely understand that even though I think times are changing you can get a lot of those items now in different countries I know when I was in uh, Australia at Christmas I have a sister-in-law living over there there was a time when we used to be posting out tatoes to her because you couldn't get tatoes and uh, I was in one of the larger supermarkets in Australia had a section from around the world that's possibly got to do with the fact that so many people travel to Australia and they'd all the different countries down this aisle you know they had things from France and things from Italy and things from Poland and things from Lithuania and here was lo and behold was an Irish section and it had Tato's and it had Barry's tea and other bits and pieces like that. Now you paid over the odds first I have to say but there was nothing like the bag of Tato's when you were away I have to say. Another text that says I go to Germany to see my son I bring rashers and sausages and the Barry's tea bags he's fed for the week. Ah you see mammy you have to do that. That's a must. That's not going away in a package holiday and bringing your rashers and sausages you wouldn't be allowed in the front door of your son's house if you didn't turn up with the Barry's tea and the rashes and the sausages uh, well done and Lorraine says this is and then the, the survey was to do with how how many of us will go overseas this year and how one in ten will remain at home and I made the point beautiful country it's great to stay here and particularly if you, the weather is on your side nowhere better to vacation that has prompted Lorraine and Glengarriff to say Patricia I absolutely love to holiday in Ireland but can always feel the butt coming on. A couple of weeks ago, myself and my partner spent a couple of days in Kerry and of course we went to Dingle for a day trip. We went in to have a coffee. Wait for this. We ordered two lattes and two iced cupcakes. 16 euro and 10 cent. I nearly dropped when my partner told me what it had cost. While I was there, I spotted a lady come in to take, get a takeaway hot chocolate. It was €4.45 Euro with marshmallows and 50 cent less if you left the marshmallows out. That's absolutely scandalous. Could you imagine 
bringing you few children in with you. It is crazy. Rip off Ireland is alive and well, I'm afraid. Yeah, and if you had, say, a mother or father and you had three children with you, you'd be, and they got that, say, the mother and the father went for the lattes and the buns and the children wanted the, wanted the, hot chocolate they, they would want the marshmallows they'd probably want a bun as well you'd be dropping the bones off 35, 40 euro based on those prices and that would just be for afternoon tea that wouldn't be for a meal and if you are having a vacation a holiday why, why do I keep saying vacation if you're having a, a one week or two week hol- holiday and you're eating out and you're paying those kind of prices yeah it would be very very expensive uh, indeed actually the survey while it looked at how much money people will spend on holidays they didn't go into people talking about cost it's just how much do you expect to bring with you and spend was what they went on I think that would be a survey for a completely different day 1850 let's take a break and we will talk movies with Mark Malone next Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Now, you went to the movies to see yesterday and then on DVD, The Poison Rose. Firstly, let's take a quick trailer from yesterday. Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present. Oh, my trouble seems so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. When did you write that? I've got a bunch of new songs and I thought people might like to hear them. Please make some noise for Mr. Jack Manic. Yesterday. Let me just give you this advice. Song title. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Are you sure? Hey, dude. It's so much better. Do 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 that's Ed Sheeran, isn't it? It's Ed Sheeran, yeah. it is, yeah. Play, playing Ed Sheeran, obviously, is it? Yeah, yeah is it? taking the mickey out of himself big is time he? as well, yeah. And, uh, do you know what annoyed me is that uh, some of the the critics that I read said that he was terrible and, that, and he's not. In fact, he's one of the best things ever. Is he? Is yeah. he? Well done. I mean, he does make fun of himself. At some stage, one of the kind of uh, black characters and it turns to him and goes... Ed, you shouldn't rap. Just don't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, the the I, I love the idea behind this movie. He, it's as if the Beatles never were, were never around. Yeah, because um, when I saw the trailer about six months ago, and when the, you know the reveal happened in the trailer, I did laugh out loud, and I yeah. thought, "Wow, that what is a great a, idea! What a brilliant idea!" This is written by yeah, Richard Curtis. And uh, so the story is, is that, uh, you know, um, Hamish Patel plays this character of Jack in it. And uh, he's kind of, you know, he's a songwriter and he's a guitar player, but he's not really doing very well. He's playing in pubs to like in front of 10 very, very bored people. His career is going nowhere and he's kind of thinking, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden the world suffers this power outage and... He wakes up the next day, meets his pals, and they go, give us a song there, uh, Jack. And so he starts playing Yesterday. And they go, that's very good. When did you write that? And he went, I didn't write that. It was the Beatles who wrote that. And it was Paul McCartney. They went, who? And then he realises that uh, nobody knows who the Beatles are. They know, have no idea of Beatles songs. So there's a lovely moment where he Googles the Beatles and, of course, what comes up Beatles. with the insects. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, then he kind of Googles the Rolling Stones and he's, OK, there's pictures of the Rolling Stones. And he goes, that's odd. And then he decides to Google Oasis and that doesn't arrive because the Oasis don't exist. Because, uh. <laughs> of course, Noel Gallagher once said, if the Beatles never existed... 
Oasis, Oasis would never, never exist. So that's a kind okay. of a, that's a lovely moment. So then he realizes, of course, that nobody knows who the Beatles are, and so he's got this. He huge, has the entire songbook. He has the the, the, the music catalogue of the, of the Beatles, and he decides. Yeah, all right. You know, let's <laughs> let's let's pretend that I've uh, written these songs. And of course, as uh, time goes on, uh, you know, he becomes more and more famous because people think that all these songs Amazing are his songs. songs. Yeah, and the film then deals with his kind of subsequent kind of superstar kind of status, once at the same time dealing with, you know, superstar status and also the the guilt of uh, p- portraying this idea that, in fact, he wrote all of these songs. Oh, he just goes through guilt. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. yeah because he's oh, okay. a nice fellow, you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, and so Ed Sheeran, you know, makes an appearance. There are a few gags like that in the film as well, you know, where they try and re kind of mix. And he doesn't change it to hate you. Yeah, and his face. Yeah. And he has this wonderful, the, 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 uh, Hamish Patel has this kind of wonderful kind of look of wonderment throughout the whole time as he's looking at people and he's going, are you people crazy? And so then they think that he's really precious about these songs, you know, which of course he is even though they're yeah. not his songs yeah. and so that's where a lot of the, he's a, the he's a lovely actor he's a fine actor and yeah. I think it's a very 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 good piece of um, uh, of casting because the thing is that uh, you know um, it has to be said that in the past um, Richard Curtis's films you know have uh, you know there's been they've been very white let's face it you know okay. films that are f- filmed and set in central London there's hardly been a kind of a black character yeah. and, and there's been a lot of criticism about that so it's good to see a kind of a British Asian uh, person getting this role because of course 20 years ago uh, you know, it would have been somebody else, and mm. uh, and so and that was really really good to see. And he's very very good. I mean, he's this constant look of kind of surprise in his face at what's happening to him. It has to be said, it is a bit of a one trick pony. It is kind of a, a one joke movie. Once once the reveal has happened, after that, I think uh, the film kind of loses kind of momentum ever so slightly. But look, it's it's your typical kind of. Uh, is Richard there a love Curtis interest stuff. for him in it? There is a love interest, and uh, you know there is a chase as usual, of course, as there is yeah. in every Richard Curtis film. The surprising thing is that it's I think uh, directed by again. Yeah, Danny Boyle. Well, uh, yeah, because I mean, you know, I was expecting somebody at some stage to sniff some cocaine and maybe chop their arm off, but that doesn't happen. And he's very, very restrained. And obviously, he realized what he was doing. He was making here, uh, you know, a, a, a Richard Curtis comedy, and he does it very, yeah. very well. He's very restrained. And obviously, after getting kicked off the Bond movie, he decided, okay, I'm going to behave myself here and I'm going to give you exactly what people want. And yeah, it's very sugary and saccharine at times, as all Richard Curtis screenplays are. And it's a bit annoying at times. But it's very sweet. Yeah, it you just I, I tell you, the minute I heard about it, it just it made me smile. Oh, what a lovely idea for a movie! And yeah, so like it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's exactly. what, what you're expecting. So, and is it getting good reviews? It's got very good reviews. Yeah, yeah. it's done well. I noticed that it's in the top ten in America as well. Whoa. So it's it's making money, and so the Americans have kind of. But then you know the the Beatles are still huge. Yeah, in a, yeah. you know all over the and world. And so. do we get to hear a lot of the songs? Uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're a Beatles fan, yeah, you will enjoy all the, the songs. And of course, it's introducing Beatles songs to a new audience, yeah. which is great. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark it out of 10? Uh, seven. Seven out of 10. Okay, that is yesterday and it is in the cinemas at the moment. Now, streaming and on DVD, The Poison Rose, described as a drama thriller. Uh, yeah, which uh, John Travolta. Um, oh. It's also called I, An Eye for an Eye, so it might be kind of confusing if people are kind of looking it up on the internet and finding out. Uh, eye for this, an eye. An eye for an eye, yeah. Okay. And the, the weird thing is that the first thing that catches your eye is the <laughs> fact that this film has got three directors, and you think, ooh, that's not a good sign. You and never like when there's three directors. Uh, I mean, two directors, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Think, I think what happened initially was that there was, then the, the, reason, the reason also because of the title change is that there were problems. I mean, it's a terrible movie. Let's, let's start off by 
making that quite clear. I mean, it's, uh, it's originally, I think, directed and written by Francesco Cinquemani. And I think what they did then, then was uh, they obviously realised that there was a problem here. So they brought in a guy called George Gallo. Now, George Gallo had an incredible start to his career because he wrote Midnight Run. That, oh. that amazing film with um, um, with Robert De Niro back yeah, in the day. Yeah. Ages. And then he kind of, his career, then he just basically started making boom, B movies. And that's what this is. This is a B movie. So they obviously brought him in to try and redirect it and try and make something of this film because at, at, there's a scene where John Travolta runs to the car, gets in the car and drives off as the bad guys uh, come after him. And it's all done in like slow motion. It is so slow and so badly directed. And really the car drives off at like five kilometres an hour and you think, come on guys, you can do better than that. So obviously the direction was so poor. I think they brought in George Gallo to try and make it a little bit better. Uh, but it didn't really, really quite work because obviously initially what they were trying to do is they were trying to make a kind of a film war kind of, uh, you know, a Chandler film, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at the very start of it, John Travolta has got the voiceover with the saxophone in the background oh, yeah, where yeah, he yeah. goes, you know, yeah. she walked in the room, yeah. had legs up to her scalp kind of yeah, thing, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And then he goes, uh, yeah, I'm a private detective. I drink too much and I smoke too much. So John Travolta smokes constantly through this film. But he doesn't smoke, obviously. So every time he takes a drag, every time he takes a drag of a cigarette, he, the, the the smoke is obviously still in his mouth because he can't inhale it because he doesn't smoke. Yeah. And you sit there the whole film going, "What's he going to do with the smoke? I wonder." So and what he does is he kind of spits it out the side of his mouth. Oh. <laughs> and this happens. How ridiculous! This happens constantly in the film, and you think, "Why did you do that? Why you look so silly by doing that and by you know by smoking constantly?" Like, and did, the whole did you have to be? Does, does he have to be a smoker? I don't know. Yeah. You know, obviously, as I say, they were looking for, for a kind of a uh, 40s kind of film noir kind of thing. Yeah, the film is set yeah. in the 70s, so he's smoking in hospitals. Oh, okay. He's smoking at confession. He's smoking oh, when yeah. he's asleep. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a load of all nonsense. Anyway, and so... the storyline, he is a PI. He's a PI. This woman comes to him and she's all busty, of course, and long legs and says, look, you know, I, I want you to try and track down my mother. So he goes off. But then the film kind of goes off in like 10 other tangents. We, we You know, he meets old pals of his, like uh, Morgan Freeman. And then he gets some story about his long lost sister and then there's another piece of story it's, it was extremely extremely boring and awful and John Travolta of course is famous for making really bad decisions you know he goes through his career where he makes a couple of good movies and then, and then yeah. does something terrible and of course yeah. he's also renowned for making really bad decisions I mean he turned down American Gigolo he turned down Chicago he turned down The Green Mile he turned down An Officer and a Gentleman he turned down Top Gun and then he makes Battlefield Earth one of the worst films ever made yeah. he made a film last year called Gallo where he played uh, the, the gangster uh, Gallo and it was terrible it was awful and here again and you just do wonder about you know what kind of decisions he makes in his career and this is I mean, is he still I'm, in the Church of Scientology he is yeah very yeah, much so he's still w- very much wonder, a private you wonder is it having an effect it possibly is I mean yeah. people do say it is I mean one of the reviews I say that this is a career ending <laughs> um, yeah but look he's had, even though he's been there before he's so, been there yeah, a few times before yeah. and he's a terrific actor and he's always worth watching and I did enjoy watching him but the film is terrible and Morgan Freeman is in it I love Morgan Freeman any film that even makes Morgan Freeman look bad isn't great and he, even he doesn't can't save this thing do you know who else is in it is Brendan, Brendan Fraser do you remember Brendan Fraser for a time was like um, was like this amazingly handsome good looking kind of star in Hollywood I do George I do. And of the Jungle and, yeah, the, and, and the Mummy and then he sort of 
went off that we haven't seen or heard from him. And then he kind of disappeared. And he's in this yeah. film and he's very overweight and uh, he's very bloated looking and he doesn't look well and he's quite bald and he's, com- he's completely different. And I hope he's okay and I hope he's all right. And he's the best thing in this film. He's the. Everybody else looks and feels as though it feels that they're all asleep and they don't really care about There's it. There's someone way down the cast that I've copped called Ella Blue Travolta. Yeah, I think that's his daughter. Is that his daughter? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, a very odd... it's, it's an unusual name. You don't think there's many Travoltas running around, so it must be related to him in some way. Yeah, and she plays his daughter. And there's a very odd oh. scene where they're kind of dunking donuts into coffee, and it just looks odd. And you think, why would you do that? The whole film is odd, and it's very poor, and it's a terrible shame, because really, Travolta should be making better than this. Yeah, and he's he's capable of, of better. That's the worst thing about it. Exactly. OK, so that's the Poison Rose. Can you mark that out of ten? Uh, two. For Brendan Fraser, who really at least tries to put some effort into this. Okay, (laughs) rent it out for Brendan Fraser. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again uh, next week. That's uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. We were talking about holidaying in Ireland and and staycationing. Sheila says, hi Trish, 28 years ago we moved to Ireland to live our dream. Though I'm now on my own, I'm still living it. I have no need to ever go away on holidays. Every day is a holiday in Ireland for me says Sheila. What a lovely, lovely text. Thank you for that. And Michael, when you're talking about on post, Patricia, are people aware that if you move address, move house and you need to change your address and let the post office know that you've changed address, that on post charge 80 euro for that uh, service to send your post on to a new uh, address, which I'm assuming from Michael's text, he thinks is a little bit on the uh, steep side. Thank you for that to 0862103103. Now, Nick Richards is up next at one o'clock, turning up the feel good with these tunes. It's a feel-good Friday here on C103 with Nick from One and then with uh, Martina from Four. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Uh, We'll talk to you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And to the night, Patricia Messenger, good afternoon.